to this passage, having considered a couple of weeks ago, verses 1, 2, and 3. And we saw, haven't we, how Ruth, uh, this widow from Moab, that in the mind of the average Israelite of her day was less than nothing, a person that was to be despised and even rejected because she was a, a pagan. She worshipped foreign gods. But we saw how she was looking for grace, seeking grace and favor. And to, in today's passage, we see her experiencing grace and favor. In verses 2 and 3, we read that she had, had, was going out hunting for food. And this involved her entering the fields that belonged to strangers, falling in line behind the reapers and gleaning from, those, from the grain that was left behind. She was looking just to scrape by a little bit of sustenance. We saw how this role, this job, was not really a, one that uh, anyone in their young age would aspire to, to have as a profession. It was something that was very very shameful. It was something that was only those that had lost everything would do. And verse 2 does tell us that. Please let me go into the field and glean heads of grain. After him in whose sight I may find favor. She was looking to find favor. She was seeking to find grace and favor. And that's what she found. In verse 3, we read that she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, and we saw this, didn't we? The, the language here is, uh, has a slight ironic twist. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. It just so happens. As luck would have it, she ended up in a part of the field that belonged to Boaz. She found grace and favor. Even though she did not know it at the time that we left off, in verse 3, by then she was gleaning in the fields. Not only in the fields that belonged to Boaz, but in God's providence, in the fields of grace. And Boaz was introduced to us. And there is not really a, a, a clever way into this. Uh, in my sermon uh, today, I'm just going to go out right and tell you. That when, as we look to Boaz, and that's what we're going to spend a good portion of today's sermon uh, looking at. As we look to Boaz, we see a type of Christ. We see Christ pictured, our Lord Jesus Christ pictured for us in the, in the actions uh, uh, of Boaz in his field that day. We see Jesus' actions towards those who are in his field in our own day. We see God's love for his church so I want us to consider Ruth and Boaz today as we find them in this field of grace. And I want us particularly, first of all, to notice how Boaz is a wonderful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and the lessons that he teaches us about the Lord. And secondly, uh, in the second part of the sermon, how Ruth reveals to us something about in the church in general, the attitude of the church in general, but of every penitent believer 
in particular. We saw that we, before we go and move on to, to Boaz, we saw that we, last, a couple of weeks ago how Ruth was this woman of faith. This woman that was willing to take initiative as well. That her faith was not just a, a, a profession of the mouth, but commanded her actions as well. She did not wait, her arms folded, waiting for a miracle to happen in her life. No, she, she took action. She was moved by her faith in the, in the direction of working. She assumed that she was needy on that day, and she took the initiative, not only of finding provision for herself, but in fulfilling of her promise and of what she had vowed to her mother-in-law, of providing for her mother-in-law as well. She was a woman of faith, but it, it was a faith that, as James says, it is a faith that works. It wasn't some kind of dead faith, just mental uh, acquiescence, saying, oh, I, I believe in God, and God will do this, and the Lord will provide, and then be all anxious about it and, and wait around with our arms folded. No. She knew that the Lord would, would provide as she looked and as she worked. Ruth not only learned to pray to God in, on that day, but she was also prepared to plead with men for Naomi. What Ruth had never done in Moab, she was willing to do in Bethlehem. And we'll consider that as we come to the second part of the sermon. So Boaz, as I said to you, Boaz is a portrait of God's love, of God's gracious love. Why do I say this? We looked uh, last week already at this, uh, that Boaz had all the, the, need, the, the things needful for Ruth, although Ruth didn't know it, know it. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of the right family and how this pictured Christ. But the text doesn't stop there, does it? This text written a thousand years before our Lord came into this world tells us much more of Boaz and much more of Boaz's uh, characteristics that points to us something about Christ. First of all, we see that Boaz was a, a man of God. Look at verse 4. As Boaz, and again, just as an aside, uh, it just so happens... Look at the, the progression here. Verse 3, it just so happens that as luck would have it, uh, she came to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And, and, and then, as luck would have it as well, you could say, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Boaz was there. I'm not sure if Boaz was meant to be there every single day, but this day, in particular, he was there. And he comes in, and he says to the reaper, says to his employees, to his workers, the Lord be with you. I don't know how many of you ever had a, a boss that was a Christian. For some of us, this is complete foreign territory, isn't it? To have a boss come in, into the office. Imagine yourself in the office uh, tomorrow morning and your boss comes in and he says to you, the Lord be with you. That would be a, a strange occurrence for most of us because we don't see our bosses as, as, uh, as men of God. For the most part, most of the times, or at some times, we think, we think of them as servants of the devil. We, we look at them and we, 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 
we have this sense that they are not really acting righteously. But this is a good man. Boaz is a godly man. The Lord be with you. Boaz was wishing upon his workers the greatest of all blessings. The Lord be with you. May the grace of our Lord, if it was in the days of, 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 of the New Testament, the grace of our Lord be with you. May the Lord shine upon your upon your face, shine upon you. This was a man that had a living faith. Not only him, but his employees also had a living faith. And they answered the Lord, bless you. What a wonderful work uh, situation to have, isn't it? But Boaz is a blesser. And here, before we come to consider the, the, the typological uh, Christological meaning of, of, of this. Let me just say this. Look at Boaz and how he saw his life and learn from him. Most of you are workers. Some of you are students, but most of, all of you have other, other places to be during the week and lives to live. Ordinary things that we go on and do day by day. And let us learn from Boaz. For Boaz, there, was not, there wasn't this separation, this false dichotomy that so often is created in our minds as believers. That oh, there is this part of my life that is uh, devout, uh, devout, and there is this part of my life that doesn't really, Christianity doesn't really come into play with. Uh, there is this part of my life that is sacred. There is this part of my life that is secular. There is no such thing in, in Boaz, uh, Boaz's uh, experiences. He, he comes into the field with equal devotion that he would go into the temple. It is a life lived in the presence of God. For him, everything is sacred. And that is one of the great tenets of being a Protestant, isn't it? It was one of those things that was recovered... In the, in the Protestant Reformation was the priesthood of all believers and the, 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 the sanctity of life in, uh, in, of, of the ordinary things of life. It was important for Luther to emphasize this, that as you work, that as you, uh, you go and, 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 and seek uh, to, pr- to provide for your family, you're serving the Lord. As you serve uh, your boss, as you seek to be the best employee that you can, as you seek to be the best student that you can, it is not inconsequential, and I'm not the first one to have uh, noticed it, I'm not not even the one who came up with this. Many, many historians and sociologists have uh, attributed the fact that the north of Europe is so much richer than the, the south of Europe, where I hail from, uh, because of the distinction between the, the, the perspective on life that Roman Catholic countries have and Protestant countries have. There was one, I forgot his name now, but there was one, uh, I think he was an economist, he wrote a book uh, on the history of eco- economics, and he, some of you perhaps will not like me saying this, and I'm not saying that he is right, that he wrote that, uh, Calvinism, Protestantism, let's say it like this, was the, the birthplace of capitalism. Don't, don't take this as a political statement, please, but there is this sense that this idea of, 
uh, of prosperity, of, of being a good worker, of uh, what people, some people uh, speak of in, in today's political circles as individual responsibility and meritocracy, was birthed, birthed beget, was, was born out of a Protestant culture. And I would say it's not just a Protestant culture in that sense. It is a biblical sentiment. It is uh, that, that com those commands in Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, that we as employees, that we as students, that we as in our regular day-to-day -day lives, all that we do is meaningful in the presence of the Lord. That we are to serve our masters as we serve the Lord. But here Boaz uh, gives us an illustration of this. He goes around his day-to-day -day life, his work life, seeking to be a blessing unto others, seeking to serve the Lord in his ordinary life. And people are made better by their relationship with him. Boaz's relationship with men reveals an intimate, in that sense, relationship with God. In the way that he treated his servants, in the way that he gave abundant evidence that he was a man filled up with God. In the Old Testament, there was not this dichotomy between sacred and secular. The whole life was lived, to use a Latin term, coram Deo, in the face of God. It was lived as if God is standing before you. That is another Protestant, uh, Calvinistic, Reformed term. It is coram Deo. It is in the face of God. How's that for a, a way to tackle tomorrow morning as you go into work? I'm not just working for my boss. I'm working in the face of God, before the, the face of God. That's just an aside uh, that we can learn for our personal lives from the life of Boaz. So where does Boaz typify for us our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in the kindness that he shows to those around him. In the way that he is so gracious and kind to them. In the relationships that he has. In the way that he is perceptive. Look at verse 5 uh, through 7. We find that there is a perceptiveness in Boaz that is typical of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sees... He sees what, what is happening in his sphere of influence. Boaz knows, well, there is here an, a, a strange woman. Who is this? He asks his employee, the, the guy that is, you could say was walking around with his uh, folder in hand, just keeping track of amounts. And he asks him, who, who's that young lady? Who does she belong to? He's, he perceives it. And his perception is personal. We see that Boaz, uh, we see that Ruth caught Boaz's eyes. And isn't that typical, symbolic of our Lord Jesus Christ? He loves the individual. He loves the one he comes into contact with. You catch his eye. He cares for you. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. 
or Romans 8, 38, 39, that very familiar passage to all of us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any cre- other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is this personal perception, but it, this powerful perception as well. Boaz knew about her. It was not that when, when Boaz asked this of his uh, foreman, let's call him that, it wasn't that Boaz was completely aloof to Ruth and what was happening in Bethlehem. No, Boaz already knew about her background. The new, Boaz knew about her activities and her motivations. And is, isn't that the same thing about our Lord Jesus Christ, that he knows us? He knows everything there is to know about us. As our brother John Saunders said yesterday, he knows us better than we know ourselves even. The most wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, those of you who have experienced the love of God and and have experienced the knowledge of God, he loves us, as I believe our brother said yesterday as well, in spite of all that he knows about us. That is grace. That is the most astounding statement that not only he, he knows us personally, but he knows us fully, completely, perfectly, and yet he still showers us with his love, with his grace, and his favor. If that doesn't cause your heart to want to shout out in the praise of God, I, I suggest that's because you really don't know how sinful you are. He calls us friends. He calls us saints. It is grace. Another thing that we see about Boaz in this text in our text today is uh, in the following verses we see that uh, a few different qualities I, I will highlight six different qualities or characteristics of Boaz first of all Boaz is a man that offers grace look at verse 8 we read there that Boaz said to Ruth you will listen will you not and do not glean in another field nor go here uh, from here but stay close to my young women Look at verse 10 as well. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have you fo- I found favor in your eyes? He's, he's, Boaz is a man who offers free favor. When Ruth went out that morning to glean on the field, she was looking for grace and favor. She was looking for someone to show her grace. What is grace? Perhaps for some of you that don't know, what is grace? Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. In simple terms, grace is receiving that which does not belong to us. That which we do not, uh, have not earned or, or merited. Grace means that God makes us, in, in God's case, makes the first move to help us. Makes, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and wants us for himself. One, our, the Apostle John says in his epistle, epistle that he, we love him. Yes, we love him, but why do we love him? Because he has loved us first. In in, in that way, salvation is not something that was improvised by God. 
But it is also something that we know that he has planned from eternity. He loved us first before we came to love him. He already had a plan to love us. And in fact, our loving of him is just the result, the fruit of him loving us. And Boaz demonstrates this. Even before Ruth said anything, there was already a predisposition on the part of Boaz to show loving kindness to her. Why? Because he had heard. He had heard those things. And, and Boaz treated Ruth with a special kind of care. First, he commanded her not to go to any other field. Ruth doesn't know it, but Boaz has plans to take very good care of her. If she will, if she will abide in his field, she will enjoy the best he has to offer. And the same is true, isn't it? With this command or with this, with this request not to go to any other field, the same is true of us as children of God in the presence of Christ. We are told, aren't we, that we are not to, to abide in any other place, but that we are to abide faithfully in his field, then he will bless us if we do abide in him, that he will bless us with all the fruitfulness beyond our wildest imagination, above and beyond what we can think or ask. I wonder... Brothers and sisters, as we consider this, I wonder if the reason why we don't ex do not experience this, if, if the reason why this is not something that is experiential to us, the reason why we don't uh, enjoy these blessings and miss out on, on, on the Lord's best for our lives, and I'm not saying that the Lord will uh, give us our best life uh, in this world as some of those wolves in sheep's clothing say. It's not about finances. But experiencing the goodness, the marrow and the fat that comes from our Lord. I wonder if we do not enjoy it. Because so often we are trying to glean in some other fields. In the fields of Moab. In the fields of, of our own strength and of our own wisdom. Instead of resting in his field. Receiving from him what he has to give us. Ruth also recognized this gesture, didn't she? We'll consider a little bit more of Ruth in a, in a moment. But she recognized this gesture was an act of grace. And that's why she responded in the way that she did in verse 10. But we'll look at it in a moment. Boaz, Boaz is also a man who offers provision. Look at verse 9. He tells us, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young man not to touch you, provide the security for her? And, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels. I provide the drink. They will provide the drink from you, for you. He not only allows Ruth to gather in his field, but he offers the same provision that is given to his workers. That is grace upon grace. She is now free to drink of his water and enjoy the company of his, of his fellow uh, women servants. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus does for every one of us? I'll tell you, it is. And it is a promise that is repeated time and time and time and time again in the New Testament. That it is the riches of his, that the Lord Jesus Christ will bestow on us the riches of his grace. That we share the riches of his mercy and love, Ephesians 2. 
that we in Christ we have the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, that the riches, the riches of his glory, if you would turn to Philippians 4.19. And on top of all of this, the unfathomable, Ephesians 3.8, unfathomable, unspeakable, undescribable riches. We are the unworthy foreigners, strangers of the land. But in God's grace and mercy, we are made to partake as members of his family. And we have all his inheritance at our disposal. What a wonderful God that we have. Let me just turn to, to Psalms, Psalm 23. Lest you think that this is something that we just see in, in the New Testament. Look at how God promises to provide. In Jesus we have all that we have need of. He is rest for the weary. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. But isn't that what we see in Psalm 23 as well, verses 2 and 3? That he makes us to lie down in green pastures. That, he, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he is with us to comfort us. He is refreshment through the thirsty as Boaz provideth drink to Ruth. Our Lord Jesus said that he is the watcher of life. And what do we read in Psalm 23? That he leads us besides the still waters. He is food for the hungry. Boaz provided food and the Lord provides food for the hungry. He is the bread of life. Come down from heaven. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 23. You will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is comfort, healing. There is hope for the discouraged. He is the shelter for the frightened. And all of this, Boaz was offering to Ruth as well. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have provision for all our, all our needs. It's not just because Paul said it to the Philippians. It's because the whole Bible witnesses to this fact. He has riches to provide for all our needs. Indeed, we can say, and it is summed up at the beginning of Psalm 23, He is our shepherd. A good shepherd provides for all the needs of his sheep, and the Lord has done so. Boaz offered protection, yes. Boaz said he took steps uh, for Ruth to be protected from any kind of embarrassing or inconvenient approaches from the reapers. She was under his care and protection, and she did not know it, but he, she was. No one could touch her. So too God is our protector. He is our shield. He is our defender. He says that we are the apples of, his, of God's eye. That we are his exclusive property. That he encamps all around us to protect us. How many promises do we need to be convinced of this fact? Boaz also offered consolation. And I lost track which number this is. One, two, three, four. Number four, Ruth offer, or Boaz offers consolation to Ruth. Look at verse 13, turn there, Ruth 
Look at what Ruth says of Boaz's actions. You have comforted me. I do apologize. It is one of those words that is very hard for me in my second language English to pronounce. You have comforted me. You have, you have given me comfort. You have consoled me. You have, you have treated me with loving kindness. You have shown grace to me, Ruth says. You have spoken kindly to your maidservant. She received from Boaz all that she wanted and needed. Instead of, let me just say this, instead of, I know we're going to speak about Ruth in a moment, but instead of being despondent, depressed about how life had treated her up until now, a widow in a foreign land, she did not allow this tragic situation to hold her back. She was not looking at the past, but she, she was looking uh, to the future. She saw that that although her situation was sad, that she was receiving comfort and, and kindness. She immediately, she was forgetting her tears and resting in the promises of God. What an excellent example for us to follow. This needs to be our goal in life. This needs to be our goal. Number five. Yes, number five. Verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. What did Boaz offer to Ruth on that, on that evening or on that? I believe this perhaps is a, a noonday mealtime. Uh, on that afternoon, fellowship, companionship, communion. She is invited to sit down at the table. Again, she did not deserve any of this. There were, the provision made in the Old Testament law was for her to be on the field and take after the, it was left what, what was left in the field. But here, Boaz is treating her above and beyond what was his obligation at this time. And it is a gesture of deep intimacy and deep communion to say, no, you sit and you're going to eat and you're going to dip your bread in the vinegar an expression of friendship, of intimacy, of communion. And here I cannot help, maybe I'm looking and seeing too much in this, in this passage. And forgive me if I am, but I cannot help but have my mind cast to the Lord's Supper. The institution of the Lord's Supper on that last Easter day before our Lord was, uh, was, was to be uh, Passover, sorry, not Easter, Passover day. Before our Lord went to, to the cross. As he is there with his disciples. And as they partake of food together. As they share and have fellowship. And isn't that true of us? Isn't that true of every believer that comes to Christ? That we have access we have access to the throne room as the Lord Jesus was on that cross atoning for the sins of his people 
as he breathed his last, a great earthquake came and rent the rocks, and the veil of the temple, the veil of the temple was was torn in two from 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 the, the upward part to the downward, from up to down. And now we can enter into the holiest of holies and commune with God Himself. Full communion with the one who loves us, with the one who gave himself for us. Oh, Boaz represents for us so much. And very few things of what Boaz did in this chapter, perhaps nothing of what Boaz did uh, in this chapter, proves beyond all doubts that he was treating her above and beyond what she deserved that Ruth had indeed found favor in her eyes. He sat with her. He had communion with her. The barrier that existed between them was done away by him. He didn't want any barrier to exist between this, uh, this Israelite man and this Moabitess Gentile woman. He ate with her. He satisfied her. She was satisfied. A couple of times in this text, we are reminded again and again, that, it, or at least a couple of times, but maybe a couple of times at least, that she was satisfied. When Ruth let the ta- left that table to continue working, she was fully, utterly satisfied. And she even took a little bit more to share. But that's for next week. How do we share we looked at how, we, uh, how she was finding grace and favor. Today is experience grace and favor. Next week, sharing grace and favor. But we'll, you'll have to come next week to get there. But it is indeed the Christian life in a nutshell illustrated. We are satisfied. And finally, as we look to Boaz, let us also see that he transcends everything that is to be expected in his acts of kindness. Yes, he calls... Um, Ruth to sit at the table, and we're not going to be able to look at Ruth as I get carried away by the, perhaps we're going to have to do this passage again uh, next week. Let's just look at his acts of kindness. Not only did he offer Ruth his field, his protection, his provision, his companionship, his consolation, his comforting uh, provision, but he also gave orders to his workers to give her above and beyond what was expected, what was required by law. Boaz was a man who exceeded in generosity. So too God treats us like this. I, I suppose some of you have uh, are reading from the from the AV in that passage where he says that allow it uh, some of it to fall from your hands. I love the way that the AV expresses it. Handfuls of purpose for Ruth. Handfuls of purpose. Brothers and sisters, God gives us handfuls of purpose in our daily lives. We, we so often think, we so often uh, uh, live in this life thinking that God just gives us just enough. Just barely enough. But that is not true, is it? We have this moresome I learned this word not recently, dour, 
doer, doer kind of attitude with, with the Christian life, as if this is, is meant to be a, a life of, of complete sorrow all the time. No, this is a life that is to be lived in complete joy all the time. Even if we go through, through sorrow, even if we go through anguish, we understand this, that God supplies above and beyond our needs. Ruth that, that day took home five, uh, uh, an effort. It would be five gallons, 22 liters if it was liquid, or it would be 30 pounds, 13 kilograms if it was uh, weighted uh, substance. In this case, it's weighted. Uh, but the point being made here is that she thought that she was going out just to provide for her day, and next day she would have to come out. There's something, and we won't look at it, of the work ethic of Ruth, that she was able to do this, but I'm going to have to pause myself there. But, but bear this in mind, that she thought that she was going to provide for her own day. Next day she would have to wake up and, and continue that work for the day. But what was given to her would be enough to live at least a couple of weeks on, for her and Naomi to live on. There's something about her work ethic, but that's not for today. There is something here about Boaz's, Boaz's love and, love and provision and generosity. That points us to the generosity of Christ as well. Well, as I said, I'm going to have to improvise here. I'm not going to go and look too deeply at what is revealed to us about Ruth here. But I do want to bring this to a conclusion. And Ruth does teach us this. This, this text teaches us that it is God who satisfies. It is him who, who alone offers true refuge for us. And it teaches us, doesn't it? For us as believers, application for believers first. It teaches us not to despise the day of small beginnings. We, we kind of looked at it this morning. So let me wrap around the sermon from this morning to this, to this evening and say that Ruth is experiencing the day of small beginnings. It doesn't look like much. She set out to do humble work on that day, fully acknowledging, humbly acknowledging her Position as a poor, totally needy stranger in the land. But that was the first stepping stone into the wonderful provision that God would give to her. And there is something here about being humbled. And Ruth was humble. She was humble and had humility to start from the bottom to do what the Lord had provided for her to do on that day. But as we finish, let me just look at me at verse 10 again. Again, this, this is a bigger passage. We are not able to look at every single verse in detail. When it's bigger passages, we have to go a little bit faster. But look at how she reacted. So she fell on her face. She bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? Notice that she doesn't say, oh, good thing that you've noticed that I'm working this hard. Good thing you've noticed that I woke up very early in the morning and, and came in and, and did all of this. Good thing that you recognize how good of a worker I am. No, 
she realized that she did not deserve it. She realized that she, it was all a work of grace and favor. She bowed down with her face to the ground. She left that morning and she said to her mother-in-law, I need to find grace and favor. I need to find favor in someone's eyes. And now she has found favor in someone's eyes. And instead of congratulating herself, as so often is our tendency, oh, I, I really had a good idea this morning. Look, it worked out fine. Instead of congratulating herself, no, she, she realizes, she considers what she's done is nothing more than her duty and that what she's receiving is nothing less than grace. She reminds Boaz, I'm a foreigner. I do not deserve this. This is my first day on the job. And look at you. You came in and you said all these gracious things to me. You know what Ruth was doing on that, in the, on that evening or in that afternoon, on that morning, I don't know which time of day it was. She was processing her situation, realizing what she had, all the things that have happened in her life. I'm sure she was thinking about how God in his providence had brought this man, Elimelech, from, from the land of, of Bethlehem and However, humanly speaking, you might say, yes, he acted wrongly, that God under, uh, overruled and undertook uh, in that situation and placed Elimelech in her life, and she is now finding herself here, and she's finding provision upon provision for her life. And she's humble. And that is how we need to come to Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you're someone who, is, who hasn't... Uh, experience something of this that we have been speaking of, if this whole thing is foreign to you, the first step is humility. God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And humility goes with thankfulness. They, they are, go hand in hand. The thankless heart it goes with, uh, is, is prideful. A humble heart is always thankful. If a person is humble, they will be thankful for everything, even if you give him the most meaningless of gifts. If a person is humble, they'll say, oh, at least you remembered. But if a person is proud, you can give him an expensive gift and they go, it should have gotten the, the other color. There is a, a, a humbleness here that is of necessity to experience the grace of God. And she says, doesn't she? Or Boaz says of her in verse 12, the Lord repay your work. May you receive full reward for your faithfulness by, your, the, by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to re for refuge. We will sing in a moment hymn 90, uh, version 1. It says a wonderful thing, doesn't it? Under the shadow of thy throne, under the shadow of your wings, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. She wasn't looking for what she deserved. 
She regarded everything that happened in her life as a complete act of unmerited goodness. May we also, as we come to the presence of God, find that goodness. Let us rest in the goodness of God. Let us eat and feed ourselves in him. Let us drink and, thir- and quench our thirst. Every need, wa- need was met by Boaz. Every need of Ruth was met by Boaz. Every need of, that you have is met by the Lord Jesus Christ. May, may you be humbled and be given grace to come to him in whose presence there is fullness of joy.